0: Good afternoon, and I thank the leadership and the church here for giving me this opportunity to share from God's Word. And I am hoping and praying that what I share will be to your benefit as it has been to mine. As I was mentioning last Sunday... These days, one of the main things that have exercised—mean, mean God has been exercising in me through His Spirit is this, that I need to look at things from God's perspective. And especially when you're in a bad situation, I'm not in a bad situation, but when you are in a bad situation, the, the enabling of the Spirit to see even that bad situation, which is permitted by God for my good, the bad situation is bad what is evil is evil but god has permitted it so that it will be for my benefit so when i look at scriptures i want to train myself and i hope that we will be and through these you know opportunities that i get my aim is that you will be able to see things from the perspective of god a theology from above rather than from below. In Christendom, the biggest problem that we are facing today is that we look at the things of God from a a down to upward uh, glance rather than from God's, God's eyes. Rather than the Bible being the measure of all things and taking it for what it is and trying to see how it applies to us, rather than trying to define the things we find in the Scriptures from our perspective. I, my aim today is not necessarily a class in theology, but it is in part, you know, it's an attempt to understand this concept, this reality called election. Now, I use the word election as opposed to predestination because predestination is a bigger term which encompasses a a few more things. But I will be restricting my comments this morning to just that term election. I will try and define it for you. I will try and explain it for you, and I want to, God willing and God enabling, to show what the Bible has to say about how God saves people. Election is a part of salvation, though it, it it's, it's something which is fundamental to understanding Christian idea or Christian salvation as found in the scriptures. Now you may have a lot of questions. I am not claiming that I'll be able to answer all of those questions, and if the leadership I'm sure they're competent enough to handle those questions at a later date, and if they need my assistance, they can always ask me, and I wouldn't mind helping them out in that endeavor. So having said those things, let's read, I'll be reading a lot of verses this morning, and if you choose to, what you can do is you can write those verses down for your further study and reference, okay? Okay. I'm going to start off by reading from Ephesians chapter 1. And I'll read from verse 1 on. But Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Father God, we want to thank you for this time and thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for having been so kind to us. Thank you for your grace. Will you in your grace continue to speak to us? Speak to me so that I may become your mouth. For your glory and glory alone. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. If you go through this passage, it's very interesting. The number of times we keep hearing this verse that, you know, for His glorious grace, for His glory, for His good pleasure. You know, it's all, everything that you read is ultimately pointing to God for His good pleasure or for His glory. I just want to, you know, just give a brief run on this uh, passage uh, before I go into into looking at specifically the blessing of election, which we find verses 4 to 6. So basically, it's the overflow of a heart, Paul, that adores God for the blessing of grace. Actually, it's a doxology, it's a eulogy, Paul is blessing God for the blessing us with every conceivable blessing. Blessed with every spiritual blessing. This is in contrast to the blessing that Israelites enjoyed. Deuteronomy 28 verses 2 to 6. Like long life was a blessing for the Jews. Good crops, protection from enemies and all of those things. As opposed to that, Paul is saying we have been blessed with all kind of spiritual blessings that you can imagine or conceive. And this blessings is from the Father. The origin is from the Father. It is in Christ Jesus, a spear, or in whom do we have? The, 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 the spear in which we have these blessings is in Christ Jesus. And it is applied to us, it is applied to us by the Spirit. So there is a Trinitarian reference here. So we have all these spiritual blessings through the Father, in the Son, applied to our lives and appropriate it, we can appropriate it through faith and patience, as we read it in Hebrews. All of this is given to us for our benefit to, to, to become more like His Son, so that He gets all the glory. That's the focus. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So starting verse 4, 4 to 6, we see the blessings of election. We will look at that before the foundations of the world, He chose us. Then, but he choosing us or predestinating us is with a purpose, and that is what we find from verses 5 to 8. The purpose why he chose us is so that he could make us his children, not his slaves, not his servants, but he could make, he could call you and me his children, daughter, son. One of the most, most charming phrase in the scripture that I find in the gospel is, you know, come up higher. Friend, come up higher. In the old English, you're sitting at the back. Jesus comes to you and says, no, you you don't need to sit there anymore. Come on higher. Come close to me. Come sit with me. That's our destiny. Because He loves us. And then we see the future blessing. And what is the future blessing? The future blessing is when time merges with eternity. God's plan is to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth, verse 10. I want to just remind you before I go into my topic, history is not circular as people would like you to believe. History repeats itself, we keep hearing, because, and we have gotten to the idea of thinking, you know, history is circular. No, history is linear. It is moving towards a destination. It's moving towards a point. There is going to be a consummation of all things. Christ is going to be Lord and King in its fullest sense. He is declared already at His resurrection to be Lord and Christ. People have a big problem with that. Maybe one of these days we will look at that. But let me go on to those to the verses 4 to 6 and let's Look at it briefly, the election or unconditional or sovereign election. What does it mean? What does it mean when he says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him? (coughs) In love he predestined us for adoptions as sons and daughters. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read out a few verses. Not a few, quite a few verses. Acts 13 and verse 48 is where we could start. Now Paul is in Antioch, and this is the second Sabbath that Paul is speaking. And this is what we read. Acts 13 and verse 48. And these are not unfamiliar verses, these are very familiar verses, and it might be a reminder to some so that our faith is strengthened, our hearts are humbled, and our knees are bowed in gratitude. So we see Acts 13 and verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. The gospel, the good news, the person of Jesus Christ. When they heard about Jesus, when they heard about what they had done, The Gentiles started rejoicing. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. For all those who were appointed, thanks. Believed. Isn't that amazing? The message goes out. There is a great rejoicing. And what we see is as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Look at Romans 8 and verse 28. Very familiar verses. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For who? For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew. Now that foreknew, I'm not going to skip some difficult uh, you know, words there. Those who He foreknew is the foreknowledge of God, or in the knowledge of God, a, rela- a knowledge or a knowing, a relationship. It's like, I know my wife. So it describes a relationship that God has. When it says, whom he foreknew, it is God knowing Jason, God knowing you know Praveen, or God knowing Bob how does he know us he knows us in a saving relationship so when you see the bible when it is spoken of that god knows us it is spoken of in salvation in, in terms of salvation when we are known by god what it means is we are we we belong in a special relationship with god a relationship where we stand justified and we are being sanctified, and we will be glorified one of these days. That's the foreknowledge, what we find in Romans chapter 8 and also 1 Peter chapter 1. It is not the foreknowledge that, oh, Bob is going to put his faith in Jesus Christ, therefore I will elect him. That is not what the Bible is teaching, and I will show it to you. Because there are issues with such an understanding that, oh, God in his foreknowledge knew that Jason would put his trust in him and therefore God elected him. Then it is it begins with me. Then I add something to the salvation that is solely and wholly offered by God. So what do we read? Romans 8 and 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For who? For who are called according to his purpose. And we read on. Come to Romans chapter 11 and verse 7 on. He is talking about Israel. Israel as a nation. He is saying, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. He is saying that the nation of Israel, they failed to obtain what they were looking for. But, what does he say? The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened as it is written. And it goes on. Who obtained the promises of God among even the nation of Israel? Those who were His elect. It is not that all Israel, but who obtained it? Those who were His elect. Look at First Thessalonians 4 and verse 5. And we will read it with Second Thessalonians 2 and verse 13. Now how do you know that you are chosen or elected? For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. How do you know it? Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Your acknowledgement of the gospel, your reception of the gospel, the, the establishing, the, the conviction that is birthed in your heart in response to the good news of Jesus Christ, and the work is done is an evidence that you were chosen. How do you know that? Come to Second Thessalonians two and verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord. Because God chose you for what? As the first fruits to be saved. How do you know that you are chosen? Is when you respond. The ability to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Is the affirmation that you indeed are chosen by God. It's not just confession. It is but the possession of the faith. I want you to know that. It is not just confession, but it is a possession of the faith. How, when that happens, you know that you were chosen. Because you read in 2 Thessalonians that you were as the firstborn. You know, why is it so? Because God chose you as the firstborn to be saved. He chose you unto salvation through sanctification by the Spirit, and it goes on. Look at 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. the basis of His election, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, not because you willed it. We will look at that later. You decided you want to be a Christian. Yes, there is. There is that aspect of stretching out in faith. There is that aspect of reaching out to God for His mercy but because of His own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 1, to the elect. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, he talks us as a chosen race. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. I want to read another verse, which I have read here before, but I want to read it in conjunction with another verse. Revelation 13, verses 7 to 8. And we will read it with Revelation 17 and verse 8. Also it was allowed to make war. That is a beast was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And all authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Now that all, who is that all? All that dwell on the earth will worship it. Who is this all? And let me suggest here, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Everybody's name, whose name was not written in the book of life, they were the ones who worshipped Him. How do I know this? You may say, that is a a strange reading. Read with me Revelation 17 and verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, what will they do? will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. You take both these verses together. There is no doubt about it. Who will worship the beast? the people whose name has not been written in the book of life, even before you were ever born, even before time began. Election is not based on your willing or doing. It's purely based on the good pleasure of God. It has huge implications It brings me to my knees. It tells me, Jason, if this is what I have done for you, don't you owe everything that you have for me? Can I continue to live my life the way I am living? I cannot. If in His grace He chose me for just out of His good pleasure then my response to that election is, I have no words, is silence. But let me go on. You have some questions, and I'm sure some of it will be answered as we go on. <laughs> you might say then, election is fatalistic or deterministic or, you know, mechanistic. Now, what is fatalism? fatalism says that whatever you do doesn't make a difference. And that is what your conclusions may be. If God has chosen you before the foundation of the world, then whatever I do doesn't make a difference. Or you could be looking at from a deterministic point of view or a mechanistic point of view. or are saying, we are caught in a, you know, in a cycle of life and there is, whatever happens will happen and there is nothing we can do to, do to make a difference. But what is the tenor of the scriptures when it comes to, <coughs> to people? When you read the scriptures, one of the things which stands out is that the Bible talks of a very personal God dealing with very personal people. He is actually dealing with genuine people. He is not dealing with robots, you know. He is dealing with people who are flesh and blood. He is dealing with people whom he can understand. He is dealing with people whose pain he understood. And he understands. He suffered as one of them. So it's a personal God we are talking. Who is in a personal relationship with people. Let me read the tenor of the scriptures. Even as we go further. Before we go any further. This is what it is. He is a God who doesn't even want the wicked, or the ones who are against him to perish. That is his disposition. Because he's a God of love. He doesn't want anyone to perish. But we know the fact that there are going to be people who will go to hell. Because they do not have Jesus Christ. Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? That is the heart cry of God to the children of Israel. Matthew 11 and 28, what does it say? Come unto me, all who are, all who labor and are heavy laden. And what will he give you? He will give you rest. Revelation 22 and verse 17, what does it say? The spirit and the bride says what? Come, come, come and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires to take the water of life without price come. John 5 verses 39, 40, what does it say? What is the problem with humanity according to the scripture? You search the scripture because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The Bible declares the problem of humankind is that they refuse to come to me. It is not because God has not chosen them, but they refuse to come to me. But at the same time, if God has not chosen you, you you know, for whatever reason, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. But at the same time, He doesn't say that you are not chosen, He says, your problem is that you refuse to come to me in spite of all the calling and pleading, the persuasion of the Spirit. Matthew 23 and verse 37. O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers a brood under her wings and you were not willing. I would like to gather you under my wings, but you are not willing. John 3 and verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. John 8 and verse 43, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my voice. You know what is going to happen in hell? People will not be able to bear the presence of God. That is what is going to happen in hell. The gnashing and weeping that is spoken of in the scripture is that their hatred towards God will be so intense that they will not be able to stand the presence of God. And the weeping will be those people who will have such infinite regret of having passed by this God who is life itself. Look at Romans 1, verses 18 on. It's a very familiar passage, but it is good to read. Romans 1 and verse 18 on. This is what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The problem with humankind is that they know the truth, but they are not willing to acknowledge the truth. They suppress the truth for whatever it is. That is the tenor of the scripture. Election is to be understood in the light of this general overtone of the scriptures. The fact of the matter is God has chosen his people. His elect will come to him. He will save his people. Jesus died for his people and his people will be saved. But we are going to look at something more. There's a bigger issue in election. The issue here is, is election of God alone or does humans have any role in it? We looked at it and I wanted to take you to Romans chapter 9. And I want to read a few verses. Now, let me read from verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. You know, Paul is saying the word of God has not failed in terms of saving his people. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all who claim to be Israel are Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But to Isaac shall your offspring be named This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And now I want to listen to the narration. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather, Isaac, they thought they were not yet born Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might stand. Now this is talking about the offsprings of Isaac and Rebekah. It's talking about the story of Isaac and Jacob. And God is saying here that even before they were born. Why? Because his purpose of election might stand nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but, but because of him who calls, she was told. What was she told? The older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau so I hated. What did these two kids do? Even before they could make, even before they could think, even before they could say a word against this almighty awesome God. It sounds so harsh. It sounds so unfair. We will come to that. I will touch that a little. In passing, I will touch on it. It sounds so unfair for God to say, I loved Jacob and hated Esau. What? And. Amazing, amazing, is that Paul anticipates the question that every human being will ask in response to this. Isn't God unfair? Isn't God unjust? That is exactly what verse 14 says. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? He knew this question will come up automatically. He says, is God unjust? Isn't that what our problem is when it, we are faced with the doctrine of election? Our immediate problem is God is not fair. He is not just. He chose some, and he's going to, you know, he is going to send others to hell. The Bible doesn't tell that. The Bible does say he he elects his people, but the Bible does hint at the fact that to some he is gracious, to others. He let them be in the state that they are. In the state of judgment. We will come to that. But let me go on with this. By no means, for he says to Moses, what does he say? I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, now listen to this. So then it depends not on human will or exertion. You are trying hard. You are willing is not going to get you into the kingdom of God. Let me tell you this. Your exertion, your willing, is not going to get you to heaven. You know what is going to get you to heaven? If you're known by God. If there are people here who do not know Jesus Christ, let me tell you one thing. When you hear the word of God, you have an opportunity to respond. As we saw, the problem with humankind Is not that you're not chosen or you're not elected. The the problem that the Bible identifies for those who will go to hell is because they have refused Jesus Christ. They refused to come to Him. That is where we need to get our thoughts cleared. And I'm going to touch on some more things before we go on. Let me just go on a little bit. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God and what does he say? Who has mercy? For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God is concerned about his glory. Your salvation and my salvation is only second to his glory. You may not like it, but that is the fact. We will come to that. Maybe we'll come to that on another occasion. If you have a question, we can talk about it later. So then, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Then why is God holding people who do not know him at fault? Who can resist his will? See, Paul is—he is, already knows the questions that is going to come. And this is what he says, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to his molder, Or will the clay speak back to its potter? Why have you made me like this? And it goes on. Let me, you know, let me just address very briefly the issue of theodicy, as we call it in theology, or the question of, is God just in what we just read? The question question that we need to ask here is, we often ask the wrong questions. That's why we get the wrong answers. The question we need to ask here is, does anyone deserve, does anyone get what they don't deserve? Now listen to this question very carefully. Does anyone get what they don't deserve? What is it that we all deserve? We all deserve eternally to live eternally separated from God because we have rebelled against God. That is what we deserve. But if God chooses to show grace to some, is he being unfair? Because nobody in this equation is getting what they don't deserve. But some, because of the mystery that I do not understand, But here shown to be because of His sovereign, to to meet His sovereign purposes for His own glory, He shows favor to some. So to some, He is a God of judgment, but to another, He is a God of grace. It's very hard. And finally, we have to agree with Paul, he says, Will the clay talk back to its porter, the one who is making, the porter has the right to do what the porter wants to do with the clay. See, our sense of justice is not the sense of justice that God has. We need to understand that. Our sense of justice is very limited. But at the same time, let's not forget the Bible is very clear that you will live eternally separated from God if you do not accept Him. Because the problem of humankind is not because the Bible doesn't say you're not chosen. It is because you have refused to acknowledge the truth. You have refused to come to Him. That is what the Bible says. It doesn't say that because you're not chosen you're going to hell. But those who will go to heaven are people who have been chosen. So nobody in this equation gets what they don't deserve. But there are some who get what they don't deserve. And those are the elect of God who see him as the gracious one. Having said that, let me just, you know, salvation is ultimately and fundamentally of the Lord. It is based on the ultimate and sovereign will of the good pleasure of God. What is this? How does this impact evangelism? You know, that is a big question. How does this impact? Why should I preach the gospel? Why should I pray for people? I want to take you to a few verses. And actually in history, some of the greatest missionaries were people who wholeheartedly believed in the doctrine of election. Let me tell you that. They would die to uphold this doctrine. Because they believed in the absolute sovereignty of God. The absolute, absolute grace which kept them. They understood one thing, that if they were saved, it is because of God and nothing of themselves. And that brought them to their knees. Their will became melded with the will of God. And they went out and served Him so faithfully and so loyally as God enabled them in the salvation of many, many souls. That is what the doctrine of election should do to us. But let me tell you something on its impact on evangelism. This should be an encouragement to evangelism then a deterrent. I want to read again 2 Timothy verses 2 to 8 and ongoing. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. The offspring of David as preached in my gospel. For which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal. This is what he says. But the word of God is not bound. Nobody can bind the word of God. Why? Therefore, therefore, I endure everything. Paul is saying, I've endured incredible suffering for the sake of the gospel. Why? For the sake of the elect. For the sake of the elect. That they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. There are people out there who belong to God. That's why God has placed you and me here in this community. We can be sure that when we go out and preach the word, pray, God will bring in His people. Because God has, in His providence, has given a place for prayer. It is not our prayer that brings in the people. It is God who draws people. But God has chosen to use prayer as a medium to fulfill His purposes. And we will look at that a little bit. Paul was assured of success. We too can be assured of success. Because we are still left behind, because all his elect has not come home. And those who are sitting here today, if you do not know Jesus Christ, you have an opportunity to come to him. You cannot stand before him and say that I was not elected. Because you are hearing the word of God. You will have no excuse before an almighty God. Let me read another words which emphasize the fact we much preach the gospel. Paul is in Corinth. He is with that great company of Aquila and Priscilla and Silas and Timothy. Verse chapter 18 of Acts and verse 9 onwards. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. Go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you or harm you. Why? For I have many in this city who are my people. Many in this city who are my people. And you know how long he lived? Stayed there? One and a half year. It is only longer, you know, As that is one of his longest stay. Just, just you know, the, the other longer stay was in Ephesus. Three missionary journeys. Otherwise, this was his longest stay. He stayed one and a half year. You know why? Because God came to him told him, there are still my people out there for whom I died. That is why we are here as a community. That is why God here has placed us. God has so ordained why Romans 10 and verse 14 we know is, how, will, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? See, in God's providence, when I say the word providence, it simply means in God's plan. There has to be preaching of the Word. There has to be praying. There has to be all our efforts, you know, in trying to draw people. But at the same time, we need to acknowledge one thing. It's not our preaching. It is not our prayer which actually and ultimately saves people. It is God who does it. But should we stop preaching? We should preach because the Bible, because God has planned it so that unless and until you preach the gospel and unless and until they hear it, they cannot be saved. Unless and until you pray for the salvation of souls, God is not, He has chosen that medium to work to bring in His people. So you see how important all of these things is? When you look at it in the right perspective, from God's perspective, can you look at it? So when you pray, when you preach, can you imagine the position to which God has elevated us? That we are working together with God in fulfilling His purposes? Prayer then is not a labor, it is a joy. Preaching is not just a labor, it is a delight and a privilege. You know why? Because we are working with God and fulfilling His plans and purposes which He has established even before the world began. For His glory. And then for the salvation of His people. Never, ever turn it around. God's priority number one is His glory. His glory alone. And one of the ways He reveals His glory is in saving His people. Paul is not indifferent. The elect will be saved. So why pre, you know, why preach? We may say, but no, for the various reasons. If you have more questions, do come to me. But let me end here. Let me just summarize. One of the things we need to understand is God's people are God's possession. God's people are God's possession. You and I belong to God. That means all that you have, all that you will have, which includes your children, which includes everything, your relationships, everything, belongs to who? Belongs to God. Because God in His infinite grace and mercy chose you to be His. For nothing that you have done, but everything because of His glory. God's saints, God's heritage, verse 12 in Ephesians chapter 1, God's possession, verse 14. God's people depend on whose will? God's will. We become God's people by whose will? By God's will. Verses 5 and 9, 11 to 12 in Ephesians chapter 1. Not due to any chance, but by God's sovereign will and good pleasure. And therefore, the third point. God's people live for God's glory. Verses 5 and 6, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12 and 14, 2. The God, the glory of God. Now listen to this carefully. The glory of God is a revelation of God. God showing himself to his people in grace. And the glory of his grace is a self-disclosure as a gracious God. And you and I had the privilege of indeed tasting him as a gracious God. He is indeed good. To live, why are we called? Why is it to live to the praise of the glory of his grace is both to worship him, ourselves by our words and deeds as the God he is and to cause others to see and to praise him too so how did we become his people according to the pleasure of his goodwill that's how we became his people according to the pleasure of his goodwill why did he make us his people for the praise of the glory of his grace Everything we have and are is in Christ, because both comes from God and returns to God. Everything we have and are in Christ, whatever we are and have in Christ, both comes from God and returns to God. It begins in His will. It begins in His will and will end in His glory. Our salvation, where did it begin? In His will. He chose us even before the foundation of the world. And where will it end? In His glory. If you read Ephesians, it says, we are trophies of whose grace? God's grace. Which is He is going to put out in display so that the world can see. The principalities can see. And give glory to who? God. So it begins in Him, in His will, in His free will. And It takes everything back to His glory. Everything begins and ends with Him. For this is where everything begins and where everything ends. God alone. God alone. We are just incidental to His plans and purposes. Oh human, why do you boast of tomorrow? Why do you think so arrogantly about yourself? Why do you look down on the poor and the needy? Why does the rich think that they have made it for tomorrow? You are but just a vapor. You are just like the breath that comes from the nostrils and is gone. You are like the grass of the field which dries up and it's no more. It's thrown into the fire. That is who we are. We are so incidental. To the whole plans and purposes of God. But we have such arrogance. We have such arrogance to hold ourselves in such positions that we look down on others. We make judgments about others. Instead of offering mercy and compassion. When you understand election, you begin to understand a little bit about the parable of the one who has forgiven so much as the one who has forgiven little. Your heart and my heart will melt. Your heart and my heart will go out in gratitude to God and say, God, what is it that I can do to repay this? There's nothing. And so I plead with you, make this a day, make this a moment when you will stand where you are and say, God, I want you I want to be yours. I want to reprioritize my life. If I have not been living for your glory, I want to reprioritize it. Will you enable me to do it? He promises us the strength of the power of the Spirit of God to enable us to do it. I want to challenge you today. If your life is not what it should be, will you stand with me and will 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 you take a moment to say, God, will you forgive me? This is what I am. But still you showed such infinite grace that you should pick me and make me your own. You give me such privileges like to pray for your people. Such amazing privilege to speak from your word and share your word. What a privilege that is. Will you stand with me? And for those of us who do not know him, my prayer is that you will know him today. My prayer is that you will be one of the elect and that you will receive him as your Savior and Lord. And I'm sure there will be a lot of questions about this topic, but I pray and hope that you know, we can have another time where we can talk about these things and ultimately understand how gracious God has been. Even as we stand, can we sing that song 474, if I'm not mistaken, from the red hymnal. 474 from the red hymnal. It says, It is when this passing world is done, when yon sun, you know, I do not, I'll, I'll give you the verse. <laughs> 474. When this passing world is done, when has sunk yon glaring sun? When I stand with Christ on high, looking over life's big history, then Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. Can we sing that? When I sing, world is done. Mm. father god we want to thank you for this afternoon and thank you for your word thank you for the immense grace that you have shown to us that we should even talk about you that we should even read your word that even we should be known by you oh god thank you for your grace that's all what we can say even as we walk out lord maybe maybe spend some time reflecting on our lives and Lord, asking those hard questions which we need to ask every day, every moment. Oh, Lord, how can I ever repay this? Oh God, the debt of oh that I, that the debt that I owe to you, Lord, that we owe to you. Oh Lord, can never be never be met. Eternity would be too short for that. Oh God, thank you for your Holy Spirit, which dwells in us and amidst us. Will you send us with your blessing, your peace, and your abiding grace? Thank you, for we ask and offer all this in Christ's most precious and beloved name. Amen.